further in our study, let us seek God's face this morning. Almighty God, our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, what a privilege that we are all here but by your grace. And Lord, we are sitting under the authority of your word. Will you please open our eyes and our heart to behold thy truth and give us, Lord, the grace to obey. May the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable in your side, my rock, my redeemer, and our soon coming king, and all God's people say, Amen. Wonderful. We have been looking into the attributes of God. The attributes, the characteristics of God is so vital for us to know that whom we know and whom we want to know more and whom, under whom we want to grow. Because we are all here to grow spiritually. So we become more mature and act maturely. And not only that, but our decisions and our actions and our attitudes will reflect whom we belong to and whom we represent. That's what the people want to see in our life. Paul, in other words, says we are the living letter of Christ. So let me just run down in five minutes or seven minutes what we have done so far, and then we will go uh, in our regular uh, study. Another four characteristics we are going to study, and then, God willing, next Sunday, we are going to look into the life of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful that I'm sure you will be blessed as you come. So the first attributes we look into the Lord, God is holy God. And that's all we need to teach our children. That our God is holy God. Holiness means separation. God's people, when they came out from Egypt, in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse, uh, uh, I think 11 and verse 45, the Lord said, I am thy God, holy, therefore you be holy from all among the nations. So uh, those, those truths were so important for the Old Testament saints, so it is important for the body of Christ, that we are a purchased possession of God. Holiness is the goal of the gospel, and also it is the purpose of our salvation. Be ye holy, therefore I am holy, says the Lord. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, as, as, as your heavenly Father is perfect, so you all shall be perfect in every way. And then we saw the righteousness and the justice of God. That means that being right or just, God's righteousness is displayed in his judgment. And he is, he is a just and the justifier of the unjust people. That's the wonderful nature of God, that he is a just God, he's a holy God, and yet he is justifies unholy, God, unholy people. What a wonderful God we have. And then we look into the sovereignty of God, so beautiful, the supremacy of God. To say that God is a sovereign, that means we are declaring that he possesses all power in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and uh, uh, he, uh, he is... Uh, under no rules, under no obligations, and he is the potter and we are the clay. These are the so basic 
doctrines of God or the attributes of God, if you know that that your God, whom you love, who has purchased you by his own precious blood, he is your potter and he is the one who designs and he is the one who can destroy or he can make you the chosen vessel of his but because it is his right, not my right. I just surrender to him. And that is we look into he's under no rule as I said that. And what is my response? Godly fear. I must fear him. It's not fear of a slave toward the master, but the reverential fear, reverential fear. Then, then the obedience, the submission, thankfulness, and worship. Then we look into the eternality of God, that God is eternal. I am he that I am. I am before Abraham. You remember? In John chapter 8, we look into 55, 56 verses. And then immutability, that is God, is unchanged. He is unchangeable God. And his words are unchangeable. So what, what does it mean to me? I can trust him. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. All may change, but he never changes. And I love that God who never changes. And uh, so wonderful we have. Then we look into the uh, omniscience of God that God sees his eyes, his omniscience. Uh, Job writes in chapter 34, verse 21, his eyes are upon the ways of man and he sees all his steps. Isn't it wonderful? Reminds me Psalm 121. He is the one who watches over Israel. He watches over his people in their going out and coming in. That's a wonderful God we have. What a wonderful God we have. Then omnipresence. Oh, oh, when, you, when you think about omnipresence, that God is everywhere. Read Psalm 139. Read Psalm 139 that speaks about, he said, if I go up or even go down, no matter where I go, you are there before me. Before the thoughts and the words comes from my mouth, he knows everything. And, and then he says in Psalm 139 verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me to comprehend. That is the God we have. And then we look into omnipotence that God is all, all powerful. And as a result of that, our salvation is eternal. Our salvation is nobody, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 29, nobody can snatch me from my hand. That is the God we have. So that was what we look into five minutes up. So that was a wonderful thing that that what we look into now, we are going to look into the love. The attributes of God's love. Wow. That is a wonderful subject, but misunderstood subject. Very misunderstood subject. God is love. Doesn't give you license to do anything, everything under the umbrella of love. Because God is love. And that is dangerous. We need to keep the balance between love and God's judgment, right? God's wrath and God's love. We have to keep it balanced. <clears throat> God is love. His love is unconditional. God loves us not because we are lovable. We are the most ugliest people in the face of the earth. In God's eye, if God takes the panorama picture, you know what he says? Do you want to see what God says? Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. That is God's panorama picture for you and for me. 
and verses 10 through 18. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. Yes, loudly. Yeah, sepulchre. Okay. Which their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of Thank you. This is the panorama picture of you and me. Unless God had mercy on us and opened our eyes to behold. And that was a turning point from darkness to the marvelous light. That is the God of the Bible. God of the Bible. God, uh, he, he loves his loves is unconditional. It is not based on the loveliness of our merits or our anything. You know, what did God say to the people of God when they came out from Egypt? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses uh, 6 through 11. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 11. God says, I love you. That's beautiful verses. You can turn around, please. Turn, Turn Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 6 through 11. God is speaking. Through Moses, two people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 11. Thank you very much. Friends, this is the God who declared his unconditional love for his people. And he furthermore, in Jeremiah, through Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with everlasting love. What a powerful, powerful word. And then, you know, when you come to... uh, uh, 
John chapter 3 verse 16, we all know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is also so wonderful for us to think about. God demonstrated his love while we were yet sinner. Christ died for us. Do you know in Hindu Vedas chapter 4 and verse 16, whenever sin increases, God incarnates and destroys the sinners. And my Bible says God demonstrates his love while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a God we have, friends. What a God we have. We can shout from the top of our lungs and say hallelujah. That is the God we have. He demonstrated his love while we were yet sinner, Christ died for us. Love expresses itself in action. God did not say, I love you, I'm going to send an angel for you. He came himself. That's the beauty of the Bible. He came. He did not keep his reputation, my beloved. He took off everything pertaining God, deity. And he came. God demonstrated his love while we were yet sinner. Christ died for us. <clears throat> when I was thinking, I was preparing this, you know, Several thoughts came to my mind. How does God, God's love, and God's justice harmonize? If God's so loved, and I'm so wicked, how can holy God harmonize with me, a wicked person? Wicked person, how can God do that? God is love, and he desires none to perish Turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Yes. Thank you. God desires or God wills. The word will in Greek is thelo. That is the decree. That is the decree, not only willing something, but he's pressing on to execute that which is he decided. That is the real meaning. When God wills, that is he decreed. He decreed and he execute, which is by, by, by his own uh, way. And you know, my friends, when you look about God's love, we could not attain God's standard. So he has come to our standard. I always call this way, God of glory came to the gutter, so we, the people of gutter, can obtain the glory of God. The glory of God. Remember the Bible says the wages of sin is? Bible also says 
that those who sin must die. And the Lord says that I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So, how is God going to reconcile that facts with us? And then, top of that, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God reconciled that fact in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so we in him might become righteousness of God. Such knowledge is too, compli compre uh, too complicated to comprehend. Human mind cannot comprehend this, that how infinitely holy God can become visible and take place on our behalf and die on the cross so we can become the sons and the daughters of the living God. God demonstrated his love to me and to you while we were yet sinner. That does not mean, my friend, underline, God loves. That does not mean that everybody will going to go to heaven. Let me say it again. God so loved the world, that does not mean that everybody will go to heaven. But those who believe. Those who believe. God demonstrated his love while we were yet sinner, Christ died for us. So, Christ became an object of God's wrath on our behalf. <coughs> Martin Luther, the reformer, said so beautifully, I want you to write down if you can. He became sin. He became sin. I became his righteousness. What a glorious statement. Christ became my sin. And I became his righteousness. <clears throat> so, if God so loved the world, Christ died, Christ's death is unlimited. Unlimited in its sufficiency. Christ's death is unlimited in sufficiency without regardless of caste, color, creed, country. But in its application, you can say it's limited. Just like, let me say it to you. There is a gas station in the town, declare all free gas, free gas available. I'm sitting in the car, I have free gas is available. That's okay, I'll go, I'll go. And the time goes up. Who is to be blamed? The gas was sufficient for everybody, but I am the fool who did not go. I need to be blamed. So you were sufficient for everybody, but in application it was limited because I did not go. You understand this? This is exactly, the Christ's death is unlimited for everybody. But in application, those who, and I know what, what Paul, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Turn with me, please. 1 Timothy 4, 10. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For therefore we 
Amen. This is the point again. Will you read, read again, Paul, please? Listen, listen to this word. Right. Underline those who believe. Underline the word believe. John 3.16, again. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for those who believe shall not perish. But those who do not believe, they already perish. They already perish. So, God is a judge to receive those who believe. And God is a judge to those who do not believe. He's a just to receive. He's a just judge who do not receive because they will face the white throne of God's judgment. So all believers in Christ are spirit baptized. Romans 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. He will, and remember John the Baptist was baptizing people and people were coming to him. When he saw the Lamb of God, he said, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. Ah, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. The fire always represents the judgment of God. So, beloved, God so loved the world. When you tested God's love, your life is transformed from darkness to the marvelous light. Right? You are on the way to heaven. And you become the aroma of God for those who are saved. And you are become the smell of death for those who are perishing. Do you understand? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 15. This is absolutely wonderful word. I wish you can memorize these words. This is wonderful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter, sorry, chapter 2 verse 15. Go ahead. To the one we are the savior of death unto death, and to the other, and to the other the savior of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Okay. Thank you. Do, you. do you see this point here? What Paul is talking about, believers, believers, those who have tested the love of Calvary, they are the smell, that they are the aroma of God to people, those who are saved. But these same people become the smell of death for those who are not saved. You understand, this is awesome. That we are the aroma of God. At the same time, we are smell of death for those who do not want to know Christ. That's why the light and the darkness cannot go together. Darkness and the light, that's why the sons of Adam hate the sons of Abel.
Because those who are saved, they are the smell of aroma of God. Well, that is the love of God. And that's why as a pastor, and I'm sure Pastor Marty and those who really fear God because we have to give an account before God, we are very cautious to present God of the Bible in this way. So people do not get the wrong message that God is a holy God. He, God is unconditional love. He demonstrated his love. At the same time, same time, those who do not have him as a Lord and master, they will face him as a judge. So God is a love and God is a judge. That's what we have to present. Secondly, another uh, attributes of God is God is the truth. God of the Bible is the God of the truth. I am the way, the life, and the truth. God, the, Jesus says, God is the only true God. You know, in Psalm number 31, verse 5 says, O Lord, God of truth. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, God is truth. You know, the word in Hebrew, truth, means Imate, imate means firmness, stability. So if we put God as a, God as the truth, I can read this way. The truth of the Lord is endured forever. That means the firmness, the stability of God is forever. You can trust God. You can trust God for eternity. His word stands forever because he stands forever. He stands forever. The truth of the Lord is endureth forever. The firmness of the Lord is everlasting. The firmness of God is everlasting. Trust this God. He will never let you down. He will never let you down. God's truth is above all. And his blessings is above all. So... Do we trust the blessings or God who is above all? Don't trust blessings. Let me warn you. Don't trust blessings. When you build your faith on the blessing that you are building, your faith on the sand. Because blessings differ from person to person, but the one who blesses remains the same. Remains the same. God is truthful, is above all. He is truthful even if all men are found to be liar. God is truth. God is truth. His word is truth. He endureth forever and ever. You know, in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Paul writes that, that, that all men are liars, but God remains the truth. You know, in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For as many promise as are of God in him are amen. Do you understand, friends? Turn with me to Second Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 20. For 
until thank you and the glory of god on to us or through us so let me slice and dice this verse so you understand this verse all of god's salvation promises or blessings are peace joy goodness fellowship forgiveness strength and hope of eternal life and in all there is a yes in all there is a yes salvation yes peace yes goodness yes joy is yes forgiveness is yes strength is yes hope is yes eternal life is yes there is no nay there is no nay so yes they are all come through christ so they are made possible by his person and work so what did christ become for us my beloved what did christ become for us well first corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 paul writes that he became our wisdom our righteousness our sanctification and our redemption that what paul writes in first corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 christ become the wisdom of god the righteousness of god the sanctification of god and the redemption of god all four are four sunday's message so wonderful so rich that is the god beloved we have we have no wonder paul says by surpasses knowledge of knowing jesus christ who has become my wisdom my righteousness my sanctification my redemption paul says i consider everything rubbish if christ has become so much to me if he has given me peace joy strength wisdom eternity heaven and all these things and who become my wisdom righteousness sanctification redemption paul says i consider everything in the light of all who christ is for me i consider everything garbage so i may know him so i may know him oh what a glorious god we have then we have another attributes of god is mercy so mercy has a respect to man's wretched condition you know that mercy has respect to man's wretched condition god gives mercy to change our condition god is a merciful to change our condition you know who comes to my mind remember two people went to pray in the temple one was who publican not republican publican <laughs> and one was pharisee pharisee came all the way to the pulpit he already up at the pulpit and he was just blowing his trumpet as god is deaf and telling god that god you know i am this 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 and poor publican is way back not even willing to face what did he say have merciful oh be merciful to me oh god i am a wretched sinner the lord changed his condition and went justified and the one who was blowing his trumpet he remains same and he is still in hell you find that in luke's gospel chapter 18 verse 
And God's mercy is displayed in our salvation, my beloved. Let me throw this question to you. After learning all these things about the attributes and characteristics of God, that God is holy, God is righteous, God is justice, God is a sovereign God, He's eternal, He's unchangeable God, He's omnipresent, omniscient, omniscient, He's God of love, God of truth, knowing God of merciful, knowing all these about God. Let me ask you this question, very personal. How would you respond to the major trial in your life? Knowing this God, how would you respond? The death of the close relatives or accident that leaves you physically disabled, how would you, how would you respond to this? Think about that. It's wonderful to have a head knowledge. But it's so wonderful in God's eyes that we apply everything so our children are looking at us can find example to follow. There are several ways like Mrs. Job. Mrs. Job, in Job chapter 1 and 2, you know the story of Job. And when calamities came in Job's, her husband's life, Job did not know, his wife did not know, all of a sudden came. How did you handle? She said, curse God and die. Curse God and die. This is one way you can handle. Or Job, even though he slay, I will trust the Lord. Then he says, the Lord gave and the Lord took. Blessed be the name of God. How did Joseph handle? How Joseph handled the mistreatment of his own brother? They tried to kill him. They tried, then they sold him. And he was mistreated everywhere. God was preparing. You know, I, I always tell that God is interested in the process, not in the final product. Final product for his glory. So when the Lord took Joseph in the process, it was very hard for Joseph to go through. But in all these things, Joseph graduated in knowledge of God. It's a great subject of Joseph. And I preached several sermons, I don't know how many, on Joseph. But you know, when you come to chapter 50, Genesis, and verse 20, father is buried... And Joseph now standing before his brother. His brothers were guilty. And they ought to be guilty. And what did Joseph say? You meant it evil, but God meant it for good. This is one way to handle. This is one way to handle. What an example. What kind of example you will leave behind when something drastically comes in your personal life. How would you handle? Would you curse God? Would you doubt God? Would you, would you question God? Would you um, become, I don't want nothing to do with God? Or would you say, everything works together for good because God will make it good. I may understand or may I not understand, but ultimately he will gain the glory. 
what kind of attitude you would have for your children to look up to. Very important. Very, very important. Can we know God? Can we know this God? What did Jeremiah say in chapter 9, verse 24? Turn with me, please. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. Chapter 9, verse 24. Thank you, Tim. Let him boast in God that I, the Lord, exercise loving kindness, righteousness, and judgment. That's the Lord we need to know. That's the God I want to know. I want to know that God. No wonder Paul says, I may know him. I may know the power of his resurrection. And then, you know, when you come to Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, he says, sell not the judge of the whole earth will do the right thing. Has he done any wrong? Has he done any wrong? No. He hasn't done any wrong. So when he allows anything and everything in our life, should we doubt? Should we question? Should we become angry? Or should we say, no matter what, I will trust him. You know, I always, this is the last illustration before we pray. There was a man, this is the true story, and I always tell in a funeral service. A man never got sick in his life, and he felt something in his body. So, he went to see the doctor. And the doctor asked him for MRI, and the MRI was done. And doctor told him, after three days, you can come and I will give you a report. So after three days, he went back to doctor's office. And the doctor was somber and his face was a little down because he knew what MRI report says. So when he came, the doctor was quiet. So he said, what, doc, doc, what's the report? He said, I wish I would tell you. I said, what happened, doctor? He said, you have a cancer and you have three months to live. The cancer stage is almost four past, and you will have three months. What did he do? He jumped from his chair, and he hugged doctor and kissed him. And doctor, what's the, what's the matter? He said, why? Why are you doing this? He said, doctor, you gave me the greatest news. I'm going home. I'm going home. He said, what do you mean? 
He said, I love the Lord and he's preparing the place for me. And he told me he's coming to take me. But I, before he comes, I want to go. And you gave me the news. I'm going home. You know what did he went from door to door? He said, doctor, just give me the report. I'm going home. You know what happened? Within three months, he died. The doctor was the first man to be converted. And the funeral service, he's the one who spoke in eology. He said, I have, I have checked so many patients, but I have never seen this kind of man. This is the way we should handle it. Because the watching world is watching. And I wish they will read Christ. Hope of the people.